crush a bit, little bit, pull it up, take a hit, feeling lit, feeling like 2 a.m. summer night. I don't care, hand on the wheel, driving drunk, I'm doing my thing, rolling the mid beside him now, living my life, getting our dreams. People told me slow my road, I'm screaming out, fuck that, I'ma do just what I want, looking ahead, no turning back. If I fall, if I die, no I live the No, I lived in missing bullets. I'm on the pursuit of happiness, and I know everything is shining on. Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about the king of Staten Island and I'm happy to be joined once again by Joey Magidson of AwardCircuit.com and The Hollywood News. Joey, thanks for joining me. I'm just glad to be talking to another human being. Yeah, I mean, basically the only time I ever talk to other human beings is like at, about about work or just on the podcast. So this is a lot more fun than that. And this is a pretty fun movie to talk about as well. So I'm uh, glad Joey can uh, join me for it. The King of Staten Island is the newest movie from Judd Apatow, which he co-wrote with Pete Davidson and Dave Sirius. Uh, Pete Davidson is also the star of it. It is loosely autobiographical based on Pete Davidson's time growing up in Staten Island as someone who lost his dad as a firefighter, though anyone who knows anything about Pete Davidson knows his dad uh, died in 9-11, and his character in the movie's dad just kind of died in a just a fire at a building, a, at a regular building, and Pete Davidson's character's name is named Scott Carlin, but his dad was actually also named Scott, so, you know, they kind of are, again, it's loosely semi fairly autobiographical but they do change some things around and but it's kind of based on his life if he had really just never kind of found comedy but was just trying to figure things out and has obviously issues with mental illness and depression and things like that and there's a lot of parallels to his actual life it's about him trying to figure out how to get make it through it his mom starts dating a guy named a firefighter named ray who and he doesn't really like that obviously because while he loves his mom he's has a lot of issues that are unresolved about his dad's death and the movie's largely about him having to grow up and confront those uh joey i guess the first place i want to start is uh fair or unfair i think and i've been listening to a lot of people talk about judd apatow the, the last few weeks just in advance of this movie and i mean it's a pretty big deal when he directs in my opinion because when you think about it he doesn't do it that often and uh obviously he's produced a lot of comedies and stuff that a lot of people know about but i feel like like I said, fair or unfair, people are maybe sometimes reductive in the way they talk about him, and they say, you know, it's just a bunch of bro comedy, and that's basically it, and this is just him finding another... I, I, I even saw one person, one tweet that was like, oh, Pete Davidson said he likes to smoke weed, and therefore Judd Apatow found another muse, and I think that's, I think that's kind of unfair, but I, I want to ask you, as someone who I know liked this movie, uh, what, would you, what do you think is the one thing that kind of sets this movie apart from what other people might think of as a stereotypical Judd Apatow movie? I think there's a few things, actually. So... <clears throat> Judd Apatow um, is at his best when he sees a comedian he likes and wants to like elevate him. Like that was Forty Year Old Virgin with Steve Carell. Knocked up was Seth Rogen, who, right? who had who he had discovered basically in a, what a Canadian comedy club. Like yeah, um, when he's he was friends with with Adam Sandler. So it was the idea of Adam Sandler doing a drama or more of a drama. Like he, he Amy Schumer. Sees, yeah, he sees in a in a comedian a film around them and helps them develop it. The thing that I think sets this movie apart is it's his most complete movie. So I would say 40-Year-Old Virgin, Trainwreck, and Knocked Up are funnier. They're more overtly hilarious. And I would say funny people 
is more serious at times. Like it goes like hardcore towards melodrama, obviously sarcastically and with some fun, but like there's cancer, like it's going with serious shit. So, and so does, this is for 40 to some extent, but I don't think that movie's as good as the others. No, this is 40 is the only, I, I, I recently looked it up. I've given a four stars to every Judd Apatow movie, except this is 40. Right. It's the only one that didn't like do it for me. And I, I've learned, I, I, I think I like every, his brand. Like I love forgetting Sarah Marshall, um, super bad. They're all amazing to me, but then there's always one where I'm like, that one didn't hit. So like, this is 40 was his and the five year engagement was the one he produced that like, I like it just fine. But it's the one time I agreed, like this movie is too long. I like the lonely Island movie. Um, pop star. I, I was like, it didn't do it for me, Oh man! but I know everyone loves it. Yeah. I'm the only one, <laughs> but for some reason I sat there going, this is cute. I'm also like kind of not into it, but I think here, this is the movie that I think he, like born to make is the wrong word, but it's all of the things he's interested in coming together in the best way. Like it has comedy, it has drama. It's never going for a real overt laugh, but it's also never going for real overt drama. Like all of the scenes that could be tearjerker scenes, like you watch the trailer and you, you can kind of get the sense of like, there's a movie here that could be a real tearjerker, like, Oh my God, they're going to have the nine 11 moment. And like, Oh, and they don't do it. Like we'll get to it in a little bit, but the, the scene that really you think would be this like huge emotional breakdown is him listening to fireman talk about his dad. And instead it's this like oddly joyous scene about like learning about who his father was as a person. Like Apatow clearly had an idea. And I think obviously Pete Davidson had an idea too. And they were able to find, this way of telling the story that really, really sets it apart because there's other things that like set it apart. I think visually it's one of his best looking movies. And I want to talk about that in a little bit because there's something pretty interesting about Apatow and cinematography, but just everything about it is it's very confident. And like, it's, I know people may say it's too long because all of his movies, some people think are too long, but this one needs the rhythm. Like it's his least likable protagonist at the beginning. So you really need to live with him for a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. Just the that you ended on right there with Pete Davidson because I feel like it, I mean when when I heard about it, I was very intrigued because I feel like I like Pete Davidson more than your average person. Just the way I hear people talk about him, I've I've followed him on SNL for a while, but I was I was awfully confused because when I saw this was going to be a movie, it was before I even knew what I it was really before I even knew what Big Time Adolescence was going to be, which I did watch like yeah. I guess at this point right at the start of the whole coronavirus which is, thing, which is a good movie, it's a good movie too. Yeah, and I would say though that like when people think of like a stereotypical like Judd Apatow lead in a movie, they might think more of the character in that movie that's really more pure slacker screw off than uh than scott and king of staten island who obviously has a lot more underlying issues maybe than the character did in big time adolescence which again i i also liked but i guess my thing was that like man like when there's something like this is this autobiographical normally the person even if they are playing themselves they seem a little more removed from the events of the movie than pete davidson is you know and Again, it's not super 100% autobiographical. This guy's not like a stand-up comedian or even an aspiring one. But at the same time, like it's his, Pete's struggles are like very well documented publicly, and it like he'll go like you know 
there'll be two weeks, there'll be like two weeks in a row. Like I think even maybe even as recently as parts of SNL last season or definitely the season before, which would have been leading into the filming of this movie where he just, he'll, he'll just disappear from SNL for a couple weeks. And then he might crack a joke about it when he pops up on weekend update a couple of weeks later. And he's just very public though, about it. he's just always, he's go, been going through stuff the last five years. And yeah. I, so it's like, man, like this is just like so interesting. And is, is it going to be easy enough to like separate his real life persona from this or like kind of, you got to just accept you're going in and you're watching something that is loosely based on him. But am I going to really be able to like appreciate this movie for what it is when it's like this guy is like still going through it in real life and he's portraying something that's so close to that. And I think that I actually think that ended up working in its favor is what I would say in that I being acutely aware of that didn't hinder my ability to enjoy the movie like I thought I would. And instead, it, it, it every time, like maybe someone might think, oh, this feels a little more generic, like one of Apatow's movies. I was like, no, like there's more going on here. And I, I think I thought that more so than anything in one of the scenes where maybe he might have seemed more unlikable, which is the first one where he is hooking up with Belle Pally. Her character's yeah. name is Kelsey, I believe. And yes. uh, they're childhood friends and they're, they've just kind of been hooking up, but he, he wants to keep it on the down low. And she clearly wants it to be something more than that. And I think often when you see a, 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 a male character kind of treating a female character like that in a movie, it's more like, oh, they're just being a player and they just want to sleep around and they just don't give a shit and they're kind of being a dick. And at first glance, and if you don't know much more about it, maybe that's really more more about Pete's story. Maybe that's how it strikes you in the moment. But I think there's actually like a lot more going on in that scene where he is like actually kind of self-aware as immature as he is and he and he kind of knows about his problems and he thinks like man i i i probably have a lot of shit that i actually kind of push to the side with respect to my dad and losing people i care about and i I, it probably wouldn't be fair of me to put this on her and i think there's like a layer of that kind of like self-awareness that he has in telling the story that i don't know it hangs over the movie and it makes it so i think it just gives it this extra uh heft oh yeah no i i so i i like big time adolescence but that's definitely him playing himself in the movie but he's really good at it too because i should yeah, say because i mean i'd only ever seen him in snl until that so it's like yeah maybe this isn't a big stretch but the fact is he's not a big sketch player on snl so i was still no, i'm i'm pretty like agnostic to him on snl right, like, there so, are times where he's funny and there are times where i'm just like that was pointless but, but, but like, uh, he at least showed he could really act in big time adolescence even if it yeah. was still maybe not too far from who he really is and the difference is in that movie he doesn't portray he like his character doesn't change the movie comes to the conclusion of like, okay, this isn't the person you should be spending time. Right, like right, the way right. they leave that character, you're like, okay, he still thinks he's great, but everyone else is kind of caught up to him. This movie is way more about someone who other people don't see as as fucked up as he is. Like his whole thing is like, I, I love some of the lines. Like when, when Marissa Tomei plays his mother and Bill Burr plays the Ray, the fireman she starts dating, they want him to start, like, we need you to move out in six months. We want you to start walking his kids to school. Like, they want to give him some responsibility because they think he can handle it and he's just being lazy. And his response is, why do you think I can do this? I'm a bum. Like, <laughs> he's the first one to be like, I I don't have the basic tools to do that. And obviously, it's a Judd Apatow movie. Part of it is about, you know, stunted growth males being able to take some steps. But if you compare where, where Scott ends to where – Steve Carell's Andy ends to where Seth Rogen's character and knocked up last name is Ben, where they end up, where like all the, with the exception of Adam Sandler and funny people, because that's a very different movie. That's literally about what happens if you don't learn a lesson. All those characters, you know, they become adults. They, they get to where they need to be. And this one's about like your first step, like the movie without spoiling things ends on a first step. 
as opposed to any solution. He's still just as fucked up at the end of this movie. He just has started to get the tools to handle it. Yeah, I should say about the end of the movie, and it's not really spoiling anything, but it does end on the the Kid Cudi uh, music drop, which I mean, I think is kind of funny that like it actually is like really effective um, with just playing Pursuit of Happiness in it. It just feels very yeah. fitting with the whole movie, even though apparently I don't know if he's friends with Kid Cudi or I, or that he's just like a huge fan of Kid Cudi. I think that's more so it, but it's kind of funny that they were able to work that in there because I I was kind of expecting Kid Cudi song the whole movie based on the trailer, and I was like, oh, that is pretty a pretty appropriate yeah. time to kind of drop it in there. But no, I, well, you never know where. We never also never know where it was. Like, Apatel comedies are long already. I'm sure the edit was three, four hours. You know, oh, they yeah. they had to figure out where to put it. I don't know if you'd heard the story, but so the movie opens on a very serious scene. Like, it's not. It drops you into this this man's world. Yep. And it's a real. It's one of my favorite opening scenes of the year. That was not the original opening of the movie. Yeah, that I think I heard him talk about this in an interview. In like right. The middle. Yeah. And he was he couldn't figure out the pacing, and I don't know if it was. The movie wasn't starting the way he needed it to, or that scene was drawing in the middle, and it was Leslie Mann. It was his wife. It was like, make that the first scene, and he like argued with her for months. Apparently, <laughs> no, you don't know what you're talking about. Finally, did and was like, oh shit, she's right. Like, the movie needs to start on you recognizing that this person is is almost is maybe not dangerous, but is is a danger to himself. When and, left to his own devices. And it, it's almost like a metaphor for his life that it it's like a car crash that he somehow gets away from scot-free. And you can kind of imagine that that's how this guy's kind of lived his entire life. Oh, yeah. Just, that like yeah. 50% of it is he he got got away scot-free, pun intended, because his name is Scott, uh-huh. from an accident. And also the little bit of maybe he was trying to kill himself and he can't even figure out how to do that right. So like, there's a little bit of like charmed existence. You get away with murder. And also you couldn't even do this simple thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you think about the family and uh, uh, having Marissa Tomei uh, uh, kind of play his mom? Seems pretty fitting. Oh, she's she's fantastic because she's Marissa Tomei. She's always gonna be great. Yes. But like, she's so good at like, and she's been vocal in like a couple interviews about like she kind of wishes she hadn't moved to playing mom so quick in her career. Right. Like between this and like Spider Man, like she's kind of a mom character now. But she's such a lively mom, and and the movie gives her enough of her own story that she's not just Scott's mom. She has wants and needs and, and even just the way she reacts, how she reacts to when they argue, when she kicks him out and like, he comes back being like, I'm fixed. Don't worry about it. And like, she's already been like, I kind of, I'm, I've moved on a little bit. Like I'm now not a mom anymore. Like she's great. I think Maud Apatow was very good. I like her on, um, Euphoria. Euphoria. Yeah. She's good on Euphoria. Um, and she'd always been like solid in the, in Apatow's movies. Like, you could tell of the two daughters she was the actress right. that she had interest in it, and and this was this is a full on role. Like I always kind of assumed that he was going to make a, a this is forty sequel that would have had Maud going to college, and it would have been like following her, and I guess maybe that's weird because you can't really film your daughter at, in a college and like have her like have sex and stuff. It would have it would have been creepy, but this is really like his best role for her. Like this, she's a full on character. You could watch a movie about her. She's not fucked up, but she has a completely uh, like self-sabotaging brother and she can't help but care about him. Like she says, she says it straight up to him. Like we, I can't enjoy my life because I worry about you. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, in, in Euphoria, she plays the quote unquote good girl. That's like kind of, uh, she's a little bit calling people out on stuff sometimes, but she really kind of gets to go all out here and, and, and the character is totally in the right. And I also really like the mom in that there's, there's a, ver- there's a worse version of this movie where the mom is 
uh, just like not even a wet blanket necessarily because any mom would be within their right to put the sun in her place, but is just more shrill and screaming at the sun, yelling at yeah. the sun the whole time. And and again, it would make it would make logical sense for a character to do that, but it would feel a little predictable and maybe not as interesting to watch as her, who seems to. Uh, she says in the when she goes on the first coffee date with Ray, like, oh no, he's hilarious, and she kind of gets like it. It, it kind of shows you that like she kind of sees her son differently than like a lot of movie moms might see their kid that is the protagonist in a comedy where they might just be like guys such a fucking screw up like she's actually like kind of like sees value in him for who he is and kind of struggles with the fact that she knows it's probably not good for him to keep hanging on but at the same time like she she actually kind of does like her son uh maybe maybe too much but at the same time like i think that's just like an interesting middle ground for a for a movie mom to strike and like you said i totally get it if she's not wanting to if, if she wants to keep doing other things besides playing moms but i feel like she gives you like a different type of mom performance than i can really remember seeing in like a r-rated comedy yeah, like I, I, I think she, I think the movie is very, very well written, but I think she's one of the people who elevates the character. I think she makes that role better, and I think more. I think Maud Apatow also. I think that character is very secondary on the page, and her earnestness may may not be the right word, but she plays such a like at such a specific pitch that you can tell like she lives a different existence than the other characters. Like this is someone who would have a happy, normal life if not for her brother. And, like, that's her, her problem is that, like, you... It's sort of the same thing that, like, Belle Pally's character, that Kelsey says, like, you make other people crazy. Like, your craziness then infects other people. We we start out normal, and then you turn us into Jack Nicholson and The Shining. Yeah, and, and not, I mean, not that the movie really... I mean, it's, it's about people that, I mean, need to kind of sort out the fact that they lost someone really important early on, but they make the point in the scene the night before she goes away to college, uh, or maybe it's the night of her graduation party, I don't know, where she's talking to Scott, and he's like, look, the reason you're even kind of normal is because you never knew my dad. And yeah. it's an interesting thing to think about. And I mean, I'm very lucky in that I still have both my parents, but like, what would it mean to like lose a, lose a parent at 15 as opposed to losing a parent at four or even oh, losing, yeah. and the losing one even, at seven versus losing one at one, which is kind of what happened in Pete's life. Yeah. And they even leave it a little open-ended here and there. Like they play around with the notion of like, does he, does he was his dad amazing? Was his dad horrible? Like they don't really give you details for a little bit. Like he drops little like things about that. But you you then also hear him say, oh, he was the coolest and like other, you know, so like you get a picture as the movie goes on that like this was his first friend. Mm-hmm. You know, this was this was the person he looked up to and he was just removed, like all of a sudden gone no more. And what makes the that third act scene where he so he eventually is spending time with Ray and other firemen. And one of them is Steve Buscemi, who great and everything and like yeah. perfectly cast because he's also a former fireman. Like yeah. you couldn't cast him better. But they go around the table telling stories. They all knew his dad. And like we had said, this could be like the tearjerker, like your dad was the best person ever. He, you know, like you saved a puppy, like all that. And it's about like how his dad was this complicated, like kind of crazy person. This person who sounds like the put together version of Scott. Mm-hmm. And like you can see like there's this look of it's it's so subtly good, like just pure joy on on Pete Davidson's face of like, Nobody ever has told me these stories. They always either said he was a a saint or they wouldn't talk about him. These are the stories about he was a human being. Like, he was crazy. He got into trouble. He did all these things that, like, I do too, but he also had a skill and he also had a thing that he did. And I don't have that. But And you just see, like, him start to put together the idea of, like, oh, that's what made him a good person and me, in my head, a bad person. And I can still be that guy. We're, We're very similar. 
it's it's such a it's such a really well done scene. It's surprisingly subtle for a thing that involves stories of cocaine. Yeah. No, it, 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 it was, I got a kick out of him just being like excited to learn the cocaine thing when everyone, all, all the firefighters were tiptoeing around it. I got, a, I got a big laugh out of that. Uh, I, I guess it's a good time to ask you about the firefighter stuff because I mean, uh, you know, I, I, for a second, I didn't know if it was like, cause I saw in the trailer where like you see him hanging out with them. I was like, is this going to maybe be about him becoming a firefighter? Cause it'd be kind of weird. Uh, especially given everything that he's saying about firefighting the whole entire movie that would almost feel out of character, but it's, it, it, he gets, something else out of that whole experience so how did you feel uh, bill burr did and was probably his biggest movie role to date and just how that kind of stretch of the movie really played out with uh him kind of uh, kind of finding himself with these guys i think i think it worked pretty well i think bill burr is really well cast for this character like i think he's a solid actor but i think he's a little limited like he was good on the mandalorian but he also sounded like i guess in space there's people from boston too um so you need to sort of accept the <laughs> the the sound so and, like and they, this, do, they do kind of address that too in the movie they kind of bring up that he's a red sox fan because it's like what's this really boston sounding guy doing on staten island exactly like they they address it and they get it they get it right there on front street but he he's also this like messy character like he he legitimately wants to do good he's a fireman he he loves his kids he's kind of at odds of how to how to be a, a good parent because he's he's working a lot Obviously, there's a messy divorce. Like he's introduced as like this angry person, but almost immediately like recedes from that once he like gets a minute a minute to like think about. It. It's like oh, I I was a little bit hard. I'm sure part of it was he found he found Marissa Tomei attractive, but hmm. there's also this like recession of oh wait no I people don't like me. I have problems when I get mad. Let me try to work on that. So like everyone in the movie is trying to work on something. I think he does a really good job of that because he never really he doesn't have a like come to Jesus type moment where he has a heart to heart really with with Pete Davidson. They have little moments, but there's this, there's just a lot of little things Ooh. where they grow closer and, and realize like, oh, we need to have a relationship if not for ourselves, but for this person we care about. Right. Well, actually, what I want to, what I should ask that is the movie spends a lot of its runtime just making Scott look like the unreasonable one. Is his, his mom? He is, is. Yeah. He is for sure. It's like just let your mom be happy. But at the same time, like, uh, and he does this very dirty, underhanded, below the belt thing where he goes and hits up the uh, Ray's ex-wife, played by in a the great Pamela add-on in a very funny scene, uh, hits her up to get dirt on him, and there's actually a lot of dirt to be found. Uh, more so than you would have thought based on how Ray had been portrayed up until that point. Uh, What did you think of it all of a sudden turned into something where it's like, oh, this guy has issues too? I mean, I I, I expected it. My one concern in that scene was I thought he was going to sleep. Oh, God, yeah. I I was really like hoping that wouldn't happen. And they they, they solved that pretty quickly. There was like a hot second where you're like, is he going to flirt with – oh, no, no. He he, he only has one goal in mind, and that made me feel better because that would have been a creepy scene. Like there's only one scene in the movie I don't like. So I'm glad that that would that would have been too. <laughs> um, the other scene I don't like is I don't like the robbery scene. I understand why it's there. Um, I've heard Pete Davidson talk about. It. He he said like there in real life there were a lot of moments where there was like oh if I went left instead of right I had friends who were going to do something like straight up bad not just troublemaking. So he wanted a scene in that movie that did it. And also I think they needed to remove those friends from the, the script at some point. They just needed to not have him hanging out. He need to have nowhere to go type thing. But the the stuff with the ex-wife, everything that they reveal is just a human like foible. It's like, oh, that's why you would end up divorced from someone. Right. And obviously the way he tries to like reveal it to to his mom doesn't 
solve anything. Right. So it's just one of those things like you went through all this trouble and all you got out of it is kicked out of your house. <laughs> right, right, right. No, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I, again, I, I, it was, I, I was just a huge sigh of relief watching that scene. Like I said, like you said, like you were just worried he was going to sleep with her. But at the same time, I, I thought it was kind of interesting because, I mean, who knows? Like we, we didn't see every second of, uh, of Ray's relationship with Pete's mom till that point. And who knows? Maybe he actually was dishonest with her on a thing or two, which, would, like you said, would be a very human thing to do. You're not. It's at the beginning of a relationship. It's hard to know exactly what to reveal about past relationships. So it's not an unredeemable thing that they end up bringing him back from. But it's a, it's a cool way to bring him together. And I kind of like he said like they realize they both have to come together because they both care about this one person and it's it's kind of funny that it's like i mean he does this the shitty thing about uh, sleeping with bell powley just for shelter which is a funny thing yeah. he just he screwed me for shelter i think it was the, the, the line um which is funny but then it's like that's yeah, really messed up and it's like all right well he literally just ends up right back at ray and that kind of it speaks a lot about where he's at in life that like that's literally his only option at that point and uh because they took his friends off the table like you said and uh, I, and I, I don't know, I, I was just like, I, I really enjoyed watching him like kind of, uh, blend in at the fire for the firefighters. I was like, kind of, kind of in the same way. I didn't want him to sleep with the mom, the stepmom. I was, or the ex-wife. I was like really hoping that he wouldn't become a firefighter. It just would have been like too big of a jump for me. It seemed yeah. like there had to be another middle ground based on everything we knew about that character. And I kind of just, I liked how those guys took him in. I, I like Jimmy Tatro. I thought it was, I like, I always like when he pops up and stuff and I, and you already talked about Steve Buscemi who again, incredible. And I was like, all right, I, I, I just, I, I like how they pulled this off. And it, it's something where it could have just felt a little more, a, a little too cute, a little too perfunctory. And they, they, I don't know, they just found a really uh, human way to do it. It's it's Judd Apatow still identifying with the man child, but also being old enough now to be like, you got to grow up. But telling a story about like, well, not everyone does it in like a simple one, two, three way. Whereas in his earlier films, you know, he identified with them a lot more. So the growing up was a movie grow up. It was it was Ben, you know, gets a job like, oh, what job did he get? He got a job. Don't worry about it. They have the baby. They're happy. Hmm. It was, you know, Steve Carell sells all his toys like it was very perfunctory. And I think there's there's something to be said about the way Apatow sees a film because he's very, very focused on the script. and He's very, very focused on the lines. And one of the things that he he does because of that is I don't know if you if you know this and if you if you have your stuff up, don't look it up because I want to see how much you know about this. Okay. Do you know who his cinematographers have been over his career? Over his career, I don't know. I was the next, made, thing, I, the next thing I was going to ask you is about Robert Ellsworth, but I don't know. I don't know who he's used up till this. Point. Okay, so he's made six movies that he's directed. Mm-hmm. He's worked with six cinematographers. Five of them have shot Best Picture nominees. Huh. So the one exception is Eric uh, is Eric Allen Edwards, who also like so he shot Knocked Up, but he shot Copland, he shot To Die For, he shot I, Kids. I so like, like all, he picked I like all like, these movies. He picked a huge, like, indie director, uh, DP, to give him, like, a big, like, fun movie to do. Huh. But, like, 40-Year-Old Virgin, his cinematographer was um, was Jack Green, who shot Unforgiven. Huh. And The Bridges of, like, and the bridges of Madison County. Like, he, t- he got a, a, an Eastwood DP. Um, the uh, uh, funny people was Kaminsky, as genre is Kaminsky, who has two Oscars, is Spielberg's DP. Um this is 40 who, which is not like a visual movie no. is, is fade and Papa Michael who, who is, uh, um, for the longest time was, um, Nebraska, Alexander Payne's oh, yeah. uh, DP. Okay. He shot, um, Ford versus Ferrari. 
Um, train wreck was Jody Lee Lipes, who's who shot Manchester by the Sea. He was like, uh, and as a filmmaker in his own right, and Robert Ellswit, who has an Oscar, is like arguably one of the he's Paul Thomas Anderson's go-to guy, but he's done a lot of other he, stuff. And he's easily one of the top, I'd say probably five cinematographers in the business right now. Like he goes and he picks like I, I, I get a kick out of the idea that he just like he gives guys a break from doing super heavy stuff. He's like, hey, want to come laugh for a couple months? And I and interesting, I so I interviewed Jody Lee Lipes. Um, about a month ago, I'd say, because he shot the um, Derek C. in France HBO series. I know this much is true. And I asked him actually about working on a Judd Apatow movie. And he said it's interesting because Judd wants someone else to be able to focus. He wants to focus on the things he's focusing on. I want to have a very specific look to my film. I want it to look like this or I want it to look like whatever I have in my head. I give you full carte blanche to do that. Like I empower you. Make this look like the movie you see in your head. Like he has a very interesting and fruitful collaboration with a whole host of cinematographers. And think about it, like Robert Ellsworth, you kind of can imagine what a movie of his looks like, right? You can kind of see the, with in, in the way that like, you know, Tom Stern is a shadow guy. Like it's all Spielberg, like everything's very dark. And Robert Ellsworth, you kind of can see the types of movies he's made. Just like you kind of can see what, what a Roger Deakins shot movie looks like. And he picks these people who has these looks and lets them go and create something completely different. So how do you think he captured Staten Island? Um, I think it looks like Staten Island. I think it looks like New York City. It's clearly a New York movie, but it also looks like rundown is the wrong word, but it doesn't look like New York City. It's not the traditional like Woody Allen shot things. It's it's the Staten Island Yankees minor league stadium as opposed to going to Yankee Stadium or going to City Field. You know, it's. We're just hanging out, like, local, or just hanging out in like basically an abandoned field next to some yeah, or like building. a local pizza place, or like yeah, like in a, like in a, in a, like this kind of abandoned area that turns into the beach. It's very Staten Island in the same way that like a movie about Brooklyn, depending on where you shoot the movie, would be very specific looking. In the same way that a lot of different parts of Manhattan look different, it never like calls a ton of attention to itself. Where you're like, oh, Staten Island is a character in the way that like Manhattan in Manhattan is a character, but it's very clearly always a New York city set movie. It has that vibe and personality. It's not a character, but they, they, they do talk about it a lot because, yeah. uh, Scott kind of likes it for what it is, but you know, Kelsey's literal career aspiration is to be a city planner that revitalizes it. So, I mean, these people obviously which, feel trapped to some extent and they have their different views about what they want to like, do with it. Yeah. Almost everyone in the movie who's a, not a full fledged adult parent feels trapped by the borough. And like his friends kind of just accept it as like, this is my lot in life. We're going to, we're going to do our thing. Scott kind of likes that he's trapped there because it's a way to not grow. Kelsey, which is again, unique conflict in the movie feels trapped by it, but wants to build a career where she can like release it, like make it so people there aren't trapped to like turn Staten Island into Brooklyn, turn Staten Island into queen and like make it a borough. That's not the redheaded stepchild. Um, and that's and that's interesting because you have on all these different levels conflict between the stasis of Scott and other characters who are basically getting fed up with his shit over the course of the movie. Because like everyone in the movie, with the exception of Ray, has been dealing with him for years. And like at the beginning, when his dad died, obviously got a lot of rope. And by the time you meet him, he's kind of used up the rope. I I, I agree and. I like what you said too about it. Just kind of him, kind of seeing it as like a bit of a shelter, 
where yeah. uh, where it, it kind of gave him some kind of excuse to to kind of not really spread his wings and do much more. I, I, I I'm not. It's not a unique point I'm making. I I heard someone talk about the other day how it's kind of like the one burrow too, where there's not really a there's not really an attraction that people go to for. I mean, you know, uh, the dump that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, wait, so so that's a, that's an actual thing, right? Or it's like a massive dump. There used to be one. I don't think yeah. there is any more. I think it closed. But yeah, yeah like, like basically, Staten Island is. I'm trying to think of what the right um, equivalent would be, but it's it's a lot. It's almost entirely made up of people who either were born there, and stay there, or people who want to get out of New York City but still want to be New Yorkers and have so more space. Yeah, it's it's the it's the one borough that votes Republican most of the time. Mm. Like it's yeah. So if you look at like the, when they the race for mayor, like the presidency, like you know the Bronx, Manhattan. Queens, Brooklyn, they're they're pretty hardcore, you know, Democrat. Yeah. And then you look at Queen um Staten Island and it's like 55-45 go they go red. Well, good thing it's the smallest one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's literally this little confined area that a whole bunch of like honestly, and this doesn't make it sound great, but it's kind of true. Like it's kind of white flighty. Like all the people who are like, oh, I want to move out of my neighborhood, and they don't want to move all the way to Jersey to the suburbs, so they move to Staten Island and they live in like t- um, Tottenville or gotcha. Tilden. Well, it, it's interesting to hear you characterize it like that because, I mean, I, I, they're, that, they're not showing exactly that side of it in this movie. They're showing a different kind of person, I'd say, for the most part. But aside from maybe like the, the, the graduation party scene where it's like, oh, there's like a, a nice section of this too where the, a lot of those people that you might be referring to kind of move. And Pete, uh, Pete or Scott even makes the joke like, oh, why would you even live in Staten Island if you had that much money? But there's probably a good reason to do that for some of those people. But I, I don't know. I, I, it's just interesting that it's like, you know, it's the one it's the one borough where there's like not – me as, as someone that goes to New York almost every year, year as a tourist, it's the only borough I've never been to because why would I go there? It's just well, – would you go exactly there's, yeah. there's, there's I, no sports team no museums no no well, nothing they have the staten island yankees they have the single oh, a yes. uh so like the way that um brooklyn has the brooklyn cyclones right same same league it's the new york penn league but yeah like all you need to know about that that borough is new york city voted 79 to 19 for hillary clinton over donald trump okay, okay. so basically 80 to, like you couldn't have a bigger blowout right in a in a major place 88 to 10 in the bronx 79-18 in Brooklyn, 86-10 Manhattan, 75-22 Queens. Pretty consistently, like, we know who we like. 57-40 the opposite way in Staten Island. <laughs> Jesus. So, like, it's, it's wild. There's, there's, there's this self-exile that goes there, which is it, – it makes this whole situation where people who are from Staten Island are very sensitive to, like, making fun of Staten Island. The same way, like, people who are from Jersey are a little sensitive to, like, jokes about New Jersey. Yeah. But if you are a New Yorker who doesn't live in Staten Island or you're a New Yorker who knows people in Jersey, you kind of make jokes about it because it is the sort of the redheaded stepchild. And well, it's where you're like sort of self-exclude from other places. Yeah, I guess I would just say I think it's interesting that like knowing all that and just knowing that like there's not a lot going on there that some a character like Scott can like, you know, uh, find almost too safe of a haven in it, which is it – it, it's, it, it's, it's, I just think that's kind of interesting. If, I mean – It's what makes the title so good, the king of Staten Island. You're literally the mean? king of the, a tiny borough. Yeah, and I, I – I, you know, it ties into him having the deadbeat friends and all that. But I think I, he did – he and Judd Apatow did a big interview with the New York Times about the movie and he basically said like, look, if you – if, if, if you had like a prescription for oxycotton then you became the king of staten island or something like that yeah. like, it was just like what, what is it what does it even mean if that gives you that status uh yeah it's sure. it's suburbia without the trappings of suburbia 
it's like, what do you do when you have nothing to do in a little bit of space, but also not a lot of space? Like, where are you going? It's not like you can go to, you know, you live out in Long Island and you have open space and it's kind of almost rural. This is sort of this weird in-between <clears throat> where there's not a whole lot to do and nowhere to go at the same time. Like, you know, suburbia is nowhere to go but and nothing to do but a ton of places to not do it. <laughs> Here it's – you're limited. It's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Joe, is there anything else we didn't touch on yet that you want to shout out before we go? Any other performances um, or any other parts of the movie that I forgot to ask you about? Let me think. Uh, no, I, I think I think we hit on a lot of it. I think it's just – it's the sort of movie that – there isn't one thing about it where you can be like, you need to see this movie because, but I think once the movie ends, especially on the final shot, you kind of, you kind of get left with this feeling of like, Oh, this was deeper than I was expecting. Like I, so honestly, I, I'd mentioned to you before we started, but somewhat inside baseball, I, I was one of the first people to see this movie. I saw it way before the embargo lifted and that's cool and all. But whenever you see something that you like a lot, or hate a lot works either way. And you have a solid like handful of weeks before anyone else really sees it. You do wonder if you're on an Island on your own. So I love the movie. Well, let me ask you then sitting there going, am I going to be the only one? Let me ask you then. I mean, cause I think this is an interesting question with comedies and I'm glad you took it there. Cause I was going to forget to ask you about it, especially cause this movie, like we already talked about, it's not going for laughs as blatantly and as explicitly, even though it is funny. What did you think about ha- having seen this on a screener in your own apartment by yourself, as opposed to watching it with the theater or at least a screening room full of people? There is definitely something to be said for a communal comedy experience. I think this movie fares better because there isn't, the traditional, like, you know how I know you're gay scene or any of the Apatel, like line rama like they, they go through, they clearly spend an hour doing punchline, punchline, punchline. They pick the one they want that plays really well in a theater. I, I remember seeing train wreck at my press screening and the laughter was huge. It was, it was stunning for a press screening. I, to this day think that when I went opening night, with a friend to go see Knocked Up might have been the f- hardest I've ever heard people laughing hmm. in a theater. Like there's something about watching a funny movie with other people laughing that that really like wraps you in. This movie would play well, but it doesn't have a ton of moments that are meant to do that. There's a lot of funny moments and I laughed out loud a handful of times, but there isn't that moment where the crowd goes wild and you have to, you miss the next line because you haven't you can't hear the screen over the laughter. So oddly, it does kind of play just as well to sit at home with it because you do kind of get left with your thoughts at the end of it. Yeah, I agree. So I a, a few weeks ago, I talked about the lovebirds on this podcast with my friend Lissa, who does the podcast regularly. And she she I, I live by myself. So I watch it by myself because we do everything by ourselves these days. Yeah. But if but she happened to she she happens to have two roommates. So she watched lovebirds with two roommates and she liked it more than I did. And I I found some things I liked about it, but I, I was overall pretty mixed. And she she really, really liked it. And I, I, I was thinking in and like. Well, that movie is almost more it almost is an action movie that just happens to have like two really funny people in it that do funny things, but at the same time I do think it has more moments where it's going for that kind of 
laugh out loud joke. And it's kind of, and because of that, I think it just didn't, it would have worked a lot better for me in a theater. And I, I, on that podcast, I kind of brought up how a movie that had also starred Kumail, uh, funny enough was Stuber, which I'd seen the year before. I mean, it was a fine movie. It wasn't like amazing, but like I saw it in a theater with like, like a probably a 30% full theater, but I really enjoyed that experience a lot more than watching Lovebirds. But I kind of agree with you on King of Staten Island in that because I think it's not going for those, you know, how I know you're gay type of scenes where it's just joke, 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 joke. It just has people that happen to be funny, doing funny things from time to time, but is a movie where a lot of its value comes from some of its more somber moments. I think because of that, you're, you're much more happy to be left with your thoughts for something like with something like that versus something like, I don't know, lovebirds or even knocked up. I just, I I just didn't leave thinking that like, I really missed out on something by not seeing this in a theater full of people, even if I'm sure I would have liked that experience too. Yeah. No, though there are a couple of lines that are the Apatow, like, Oh, here's the big laugh line. Like to me, I think the funniest line in the movie is, you did the second worst thing you can do to a kid in the woods. <laughs> and like, that's one of those moments, but yeah. they're spread out throughout the two hour and 15 minute runtime or whatever, as opposed to being what the movie is. And like, you know, to whether you like his stuff or not, probably depends early on 40 year virgin knocked up, especially on, do you like it when they make a joke and then repeat the joke five or six times until you have exhausted the joke? You know, that's that was his style for a while, but it was verbal as opposed to like a slapstick repetition or like sort of utter stupidity. That was uh, that was um, the hangover like of that time. His was the verbal repetition. You know, here's you know, you look like, you know, you sound like, you know, there there was a lot of that. It's like silly kind of bro insults. And I thought they were great and I thought they worked, but this movie wouldn't fit with that either. Yeah, and he's talked about that was like a conscious choice in writing the script, and I, I thought yeah. it really worked. Uh, I, I, I want to shout out Steve Buscemi one more time. Like we only briefly talked about him, but I just want like he kind of pops up in that baseball game scene, and then I kind of forget about him for a while, and, and then it's like, and I, you kind of remember like with like thirty minutes left in the movie, it's like, oh, Steve Buscemi didn't sign up to do this for like one scene. We're gonna get more Steve Buscemi, and like he's really good in that scene in the bar, which we already talked about, but I just felt like I didn't want to shortchange him, and I yeah. just wanted to say like I'm. That's really cool that they got him to do this movie to. Just, I mean, I'm sure it meant something to him to be able to play a firefighter. Like you, like yeah. you said, that that's oh, the, I'm sure he. That. I'm sure he read that his monologue and is like, I know exactly who I'm talking about, and has a person in his head that he's describing. I know. I I, I, I kind of told you before we started recording, I think, or that I I went back and watched parts of the movie before my uh, rental expired, and I wa- I went back and made sure that was the first scene I rewatched, and I'd already forgotten that like he talks about doing coke himself in that scene. Yeah, he, that, they, he, that he was keeping like. I forget what country they were making for, like Colombia. Like he's part of the the investment in Colombia. He's on like the quarter in that country. Yeah, it was just really uh, funny to see someone of that age that had been a rather serene presence throughout much of the movie. Just uh, matter of factly, just talk about like having a time in his life that was like that. It was it was. I thought it was really funny. Which is which is which which fits for the point. Which yeah. is like these people can present in a, like Scott presents in one way. He's like I'm a screw up. I'm presenting as that to everybody, and. Um, see, Buscemi's character is like, well, that's not how your dad presented to everyone. We knew him as an occasional screw up, but he presented himself to you as like your hero. He presented himself to the world as a fireman, as like a, this guy that your mom loves so much. Like, and like, look at me. You think of me as like the kindly old chief. I was like, you know, like there was a time in his life where he was like a human Hoover, like just like sucking up all the coke. But everyone can be 
their own, you know, you, there's can be more than one side to you. And like, you can display the good side, keep in the bad and not let it like infect others. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about Pete Davidson is I really, again, I really liked how he reacted in that scene. I think we already talked about that, but just, I mean, he looks like a kid. He just looks like a kid, like happy to be hearing about his dad. Yeah. And it's, it's again, it's well, yeah, sure. Maybe a lot of what he's doing isn't, uh, on the surface that much different from what he did in, uh, big time adolescence. He's getting to do something different at that point in the movie. And it's just really cool to see. Cause again, I've watched SNL pretty closely the whole time he's been on it and he's just never asked to do that much. So it was just a no. huge revelation to see him kind of have this in him, but also also, there were a few moments in the movie too. I don't know. Do you ever watch the? Uh, do you ever see the any of his SNL sketches where he plays the guy Chad, who yeah, I've like, seen, re- seen one or two. Right, like he just like responds. It's like okay, sure. Yeah, it's like one word answers, and then like to like Jennifer Lopez, who just becomes like in love with him, and it's, it it works better than. I mean, it, that seems to be his life also. So who knows? Fair enough. True. True. But it, it it works better on some of those sketches than others. But like he yeah. even he he gets to exercise that muscle too a little bit, like when when his sister's giving him like the paint set he just like says completely monotone just go with the gift receipt and yeah. that was basically it I, and I, I got a kick out of that because it was like hearkening back to that kind of snl acting that he did but he gets yeah. to do so much more i also think that's it's just funny to me that you know people like rag on him a lot for for dating women who are far more attractive than he is and like as someone who aims to do that in my life like i you know more power to him but i yeah. do like that the movies also do that a little bit like in big time adolescence, his girlfriend is Sydney Sweeney. Yeah. In this movie, it's it's his love interest is Belle Pally. Like they they almost are commenting on it and being like, here. Here, here's some here's some more beautiful women, Pete. But, but you Don't also, you feel you like also you deserve it. You also get it when someone's as funny as him because girls like funny guys. And yeah, it's like listen, even even if you are a fuck up. Nobody <laughs> nobody dates me for my looks, let me tell you that. Yep. Uh, Joey, uh, before you, before you wrap up, um, I, I want to let you plug stuff as always, but in case there's anything else you want to talk about, one thing we've been doing a little bit more of since the, since the COVID crisis started is giving people a chance to talk about any streaming recommendations we have since people are probably staying at home watching stuff more than usual. But I know given your job, you're, you're a little different in that you probably have seen a few new things that people haven't seen yet. So is there anything else you want to just kind of recommend to people before we sign off just with any kind um, of streaming recommendation, whether it be something that you're n- not, not embargoed on, but you know, is coming soon that you think people should see or any old stuff you've watched that you really like that you just want to shout sure. out before we sign off? Sure. Um, something coming out, I technically can't talk about it, but I can tell you I've seen The Outpost and I probably wouldn't be bringing it up if I hated it. Um, okay. If you want a war movie, that's there. If you want to watch a war movie today, Spike Lee's movie The Five Bloods is out. It's very good. I'm sure you're talking about that soon. Mm-hmm. Um, backing up a little bit, uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always is amazing. Um, if you want something that you probably haven't heard of yet, that's where you can find some interesting things, depending on what you like. So there's um, there's a Shailene Woodley movie called Endings Beginnings, which is Drake Doremus, who made Like Crazy. If you like that vibe, like if you like Like Crazy, it's very much in that vibe. Um, there's a movie called Hooking Up that looks for all the money like it's a direct-to-DVD like rom-com from 20 years ago. But it's actually really good. It's it's Britney Snow and Sam Richardson, who you would never like expect to be in movies. I like both. Of the, I like both of those people. She plays a sex addict, who's also like a like Cosmo like sex columnist type thing. And he's um, they wind up together for for a reason. They go on a road trip 
and she's writing about like sex. Well, it starts out very silly and has like this heart to it. You're not expecting. And also just Sam Richardson getting to be a lead in anything is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you might know him as Richard split on Veep, but he deserves to be more than that. So it's oh, cool yeah, to see he's he doing plays stuff. an intelligent character. And it's like, he's, he's a delight. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple other things. Buffalo is a Zoe Deutsch comedy. It's very good. Played at Tribeca last year. Crushed is this movie that played at Tribeca last year. It's, um, kind of a college like sex comedy, but it's female centric. So it's, it's a nice spin on like what may be gross in, in lesser hands, you know, um, of like guys trying to get laid. There's something really charming about this, just like intelligent women who want to have sex. Like it's, it's really well done. And then one other movie is banana split, which is one of my favorite. movies. What is that? You mentioned that earlier and I don't even know what it is. Banana split is essentially a buddy comedy, but it's two girls. So it's basically over the course of a summer, two girls become really close friends. But the thing is, the one of them is dating the other's ex. So they they meet because – so Hannah Marks wrote it and stars in it. And Leanna Liberato, who you've seen in things, is the other girl. And she basically stalks her at the beginning because they broke up. Her and her boyfriend, who's actually one of the, the grown twins from um, Big Daddy, one of the Sprouses. Oh, yeah. Um, the opening sequence is like them dating and then breaking up. It's cute. It's, it's, but it's kind of whatever at the beginning. And then she, um, finds out he's dating someone else and kind of stalks her. And then they become friends and just agree like, Oh, we're never going to talk about the guy. And there it's like so well written. She stars in it and wrote it. And it has, I won't say the line cause it's utterly filthy, but it has one of the like funniest, like most real lines of the year of just like, Somebody came up with this line of dialogue. She is like above all else. That's a movie to look up for because I think if you look at like actresses who also write and direct kind of thing, she's gonna make an amazing movie very very soon. And that's that's on demand right now. Um, yeah, I would imagine you can watch it on any of your okay. uh, your Amazons and your iTunes and gotcha. your your Voodoo's and all that. Gotcha. I knew I knew Buffalo it was because I've been meaning to get around to that because I like Zoe Deutsch and I and I knew you liked it and if that was if we're without movies long enough and I really like it who knows oh, yeah. maybe you, maybe I'll ask you to come back and talk about if that. You, yeah, if you like Zoe Deutsch and like the kind of movie she makes, I think you'll like Hannah Marks also. Similar sort of vibe to me of like a little smarter than everyone else, like very attractive but doesn't play like as someone who thinks they're attractive. Like there's something about her role. Gotcha. That I, I just was very, very – I had seen her in a couple of things, but I was so taken by her in this movie that I, I was it's, – it's honestly in my top five right now gotcha. for the year. All right. And I've watched a lot of Spike Lee in the last week because I'm just kind of getting ready to talk about The Five Bloods and I wanted to kind of fill in a few blind spots. But I don't, I'm going to end up mentioning a lot of those movies I watched on that podcast, so I don't really want to just like have my recommendations at the end of that podcast be Spike Lee movies. So at the end of that one, I'll talk about the other non-Spike Lee stuff I've watched recently. But yeah. I'll just tell people right now to like watch Do the Right Thing. And yep. I, it, it's like a, obviously it's a well-known movie and it's a pretty obvious thing to recommend given what's going on in the country now. But like, I was just stalking a few of my friends on Letterboxd and a few of them haven't seen it. And even, even if we weren't going through this moment in our country right now, it'd be very worth watching, but it's unfortunately a very timeless movie. Uh, so I think it's something that's really worth checking out and it really touches on a lot of things that are unfortunately are really, really important to be thinking about right now. And, uh, look, 
I I'm totally here for it when people like want to recommend someone watch like any really serious documentary that touches on this subject matter, but that's yeah. not the only place you can go to educate yourself. And no. uh, something like do the right thing uh, is going to really teach you a lot while at the same time entertaining you with a lot of really fun characters. Cause it really, it contains multitudes and has a lot of different things. So I think, I, I think honestly, one of the, it's, I think it's one of his best movies. I think black Landsman do the right thing. 25th hour is mm-hmm. the best, but I think sometimes people get caught up in, they they get introduced to Spike Lee by watching Do the Right Thing or Malcolm X, and they and they get this like oh he's 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 it's a message as opposed to a movie like they they take the wrong thing with it. So sometimes I I honestly think it's good to introduce people to like a more just trying to make a movie Spike Lee movie so you can realize that like part of the genius of him when he's on, like in Black Klansman, like in The Five Bloods. Is he can he can jam a message and make an important and angry movie within the framework of something entertaining? Yeah, and like honestly, um, Summer Summer of Sam's not his best movie. It's good, but that's a good example of like he's making a movie that almost anyone could make. But he fills in the blanks with all these little Spike Leeisms. But if you want to get a good sense of like what's a good Spike Lee movie, Clockers is like him doing a Scorsese movie, and He Got Game is his like father son movie yeah but it's i don't know have you seen he got game I yeah I, i've not seen summer of sam but i i have seen he got game and i really like it i was i was, I, I was gonna ask you like you, you being someone that's really familiar with coney island i mean i'm sure you have a lot of respect for how he shot that that's, part of brooklyn that's literally my high school that's lincoln yeah. high school oh, okay yeah like i i played basketball on that basketball court like i did the play-by-play for lincoln when uh when sebastian telfair was going in from high school to the nba and that was the court Gotcha. Yeah, with Clockers, I, I so I, I might owe it another watch because a lot of people I really respect really like it. And he wrote it with Richard Price, right? And yeah. Richard Price wrote on The Wire. And who knows, maybe if I'd seen Clockers before I saw The Wire, which is my favorite show of all time, maybe it would have uh, hit me differently. But it almost felt like it was, uh, I, I f- kind of felt like I'd seen a better version of it in The Wire, which really follows a lot of characters over the course of several seasons. And yeah, I kind of just felt like I, watching Clockers, it's like it, I, I could see a lot of the seeds of what would be, The Wire would end up being. But I yeah, didn't really get Richard to know the characters Klein, that well. It's Richard Price's book that they're adapting. Oh, okay. Um, and I think it's it's a good example of like, I think Spike Lee saw that movie getting made by someone else. And, and being like, yeah. yeah, like that movie. The, the, so there's, there's, there's a version of that movie where they care way more about Harvey Keitel and John Turturro. And it's and it's Spike Lee going, well, no, Delroy Lindo and Mackay Pfeiffer and Isaiah Washington, and Keith David, like all these characters, the other side of the story, you know, they would be in a different movie, like straight up just the villains of the movie. It would be the drug dealers who need to be caught by the cops mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, this is a complicated thing going on in Brooklyn and both sides are right and both sides are wrong and, and people get caught in the crossfire. And I think that makes it a much better movie. I don't know that it's his like top tier. Um, actually, now I'm looking. I, I've I've recently ranked my Spike Lee list. Oh, okay. um, let's see, because um, I don't think uh, it's necessarily his best movie, but I think it's a good example of like finding a middle ground. Like if you don't want Spike Lee to preach at you, like honestly. I think Bamboozled is his worst movie. And I, I still haven't seen it because it's so hard to get. Like, it's only on Criterion DVD and nowhere else. So I, but I kind of want to see Bamboozled just because I'm curious. It is, it is, it is, um, I can, I consider it his version of Crash. Oh, okay. Like, it is 
hardcore with his message. And like, it's a good message, but the way he, he does it, it was like very off putting to me. I just, I didn't see the movie there. I saw like the message. Hmm. And honestly, some of that might also be that I, um, I saw it several times in college. I actually took a class on Spike Lee and that might've not helped things. Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think my, my ranking is, uh, for people who want to like prep for, uh, <laughs> the five bloods, 25th hours is best do the right thing. Black Klansman, the five bloods times in top five inside man. He got game four little girls, clockers, Malcolm X. And then when the levees broke, if you want to watch a documentary. Yeah. I watched four little girls for the first time last week. Haven't done when the levees broke yet, but I almost, I kind of lived it almost a little bit by, yeah, by being so close to new Orleans when Katrina happened. Uh, it's so. long. But it's it's a great example of like his anger. The way like Four Little Girls is like a great distillation of Spike Lee being angry and like turning it onto an issue. When the levees broke is a good example of that. Also, um, there he he kind of has a um, his great movies, the ones where you see a little bit and he's got his own worst enemy, and then you have the ones where like that didn't work. Um, like I don't know if you have ever seen She Hate Me. No, and I had a fr- one of my friends that's going to do the podcast with me on Defy Bloods, like jokingly told me I should watch it, and I just don't think I'm going to end up making the time before. Do the you podcast. know what She Hate Me is about? Uh, it's a little, it's it's a fairly fucked up premise, if I understand correctly, right? Yeah. So I I still don't fully get what he was going for. Okay. But the the premise of She Hate Me is that a guy loses a job and needs money, and he basically gets paid to impregnate rich lesbians. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it fucked up, yes. does not work. <laughs> and, like, if I told you that Spike Lee made a movie with Anthony Mackie, Kerry Washington, John Turturro, Ellen Barkin, Monica Bellucci, Jim Brown, Brian Dennehy, Woody Har- Harrelson, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Bai Ling, Isaiah Whitlock, like, you'd be like, sign me up, right? Like, who cares what it's about? Hmm. This movie has the line, like, how much do you think Michael Jordan would get for his sperm? Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a... It's his biggest mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like most of his movies are worth watching, even if they don't work. I feel like you're always going to take something yeah. interesting from them. So uh, you can really revisit any of those that uh, we talked about. And I think I feel like just you're going to take something from any of them that would really teach you something, I think, for the most part. Again, I haven't, I'm not a completist yet, though I guess I'm working my way towards being there and getting pretty close. So, uh, yeah, just you should. Yeah, have, he's too he's too vis- he's too vibrant and like essential a filmmaker, whether you like him or not that you to, to disregard anything he makes. Cause there's definitely people that you, you know, they just don't do it for you. Like I'll never understand why people don't like Kevin Smith, but there are people who just Kevin Smith movies don't do it for them. So they kind of check out of it. And I understand like he's not necessarily making socially important films, but Spike Lee, you know, if you don't like his stuff, I feel like you kind of should check in with what he's saying about the state of the world. For sure. For sure. Uh, Joey, before we sign off, where can people find your stuff? Tinder, <laughs> Bumble, Hinge. No, wait, sorry, wrong list. Um, <laughs> uh, the award circuit, uh, and Hollywood news. And, um, yeah, um, I've, ch- I've, ch- I've checked in a couple times on the award circuit power hour. What have you guys been talking about now that we don't have new movies to speculate for their awards prospects? Uh, well, uh, we had a week where we talked about food mainly. Um, that was <laughs> interesting. We had a, we had a two or three week run where we, barely talked about movies mostly joking about how shitty this was and how no one's gonna listen they seem to like it so oh, there you we go. were rewarded for bad behavior that, sh- um, that shows you have a loyal audience yeah and then the last couple of weeks we were we were hitting some news and then playing playing games we had a um 
guess the movie based on the tagline game, or I forget what the other, there were two parts to that game. And the taglines are hard, man. <laughs> like you, you don't realize how shitty some, some like, uh, publishing to, like ad executives are when coming up with title. Like, I, need, I need to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're fun. Um, two week, the episode going up this week, depending on when you publish this, we did a game also, but it was a solo one, but the most recent episode now for you, when you go listen the back half of the episode is a game where we teamed up. It was, um, we, we jokingly had the older writers. So Mark Johnson and Karen Peterson, for people who know the award circuit staff, um, we're teamed up as like the dream team. And, uh, I got, uh, Ryan McQuaid on my team and, uh, I won't say how it turned out, but, uh, I think you should listen. Okay. Interesting. All right. That's a good yeah. teaser there. Uh, Joey, thanks. Thanks again for joining. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email, the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. We're going to keep doing this and talking about both old and new stuff. So until like the theaters are back open and in full swing. So if you have any uh, suggestions or recommendations for things we should go revisit, uh, feel free to send them my way. So uh, thanks again to Joey for joining us. Coming up next, we'll have an episode on Five Bloods and talking about what Spike Lee's work means today. So everyone stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.